Hey everyone, we're so excited to share this live episode with you. These are some of my favorite episodes to do. And right before we get into it, just one last reminder of the shows that I've been plugging for seems like a full year at this point, but this is the last time you'll hear me say it. I'll be in Des Moines, Iowa this week at the Funny Bone, Friday and Saturday, December 8th and 9th. Go to kellenerskin.com for tickets. Now, real quick, since we performed this uh, at a live videotaping for the streaming series Dry Bar Unscripted, uh, we didn't have our usual microphones, and there may be a bit of intermittent uh, sort of static. Just know nothing's wrong with your earbuds. It's on our end, though. I think I've cleaned up most of it, and hopefully you won't even notice it through all the high-quality mockery of today's book. And lastly, Dave and I have a Patreon for the book pile where we post weekly bonus mini-episodes. Lately, I've been posting uh, new jokes from my stand-up that I haven't yet released to the public anywhere else. Also, on the Patreon, even if you're not a member, you can still go to our little shop on our Patreon page and purchase a customized 90-second video greeting from me and Dave that we will make for your loved one. Just in time for the holidays. It's a gift that keeps on giving till those 90 seconds are up. Go to patreon.com slash the book pile or just click on the Patreon link in the description to this episode. And speaking of this episode... Here we go. Today's book is about a man rushing around Rome, trying to save cardinals from a gruesome murder, and entirely failing. Tonight, we're roasting Angels and Demons, a book written by Dan Brown, published by Pocket Books, and fact-checked by nobody. <laughs> this is The Book Pile. A podcast about the best of books and the worst of books. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and I am so excited to roast this story that chronologically comes before the Da Vinci Code. And just like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, it's the prequel that no one remembers, cares about, or even knew that it was a prequel. <laughs> and I'm David Vance. This book has one of my all-time favorite villains, the only person I know who thinks the Catholic Church in the year 2000 was too woke. <laughs> so when the, uh, when the Da Vinci Code came out, I remember that a lot of people thought the research was accurate. Do you remember that? It is not. <laughs> so Dan Brown, Dan Brown is one of my favorite categories of human. Know-it-all who doesn't. <laughs> he's always trying to educate you, and he's almost always wrong. You know when the least successful dater in your friend group is always trying to give you dating advice? You're like, how do you have this confidence? <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> like, I, I think just like, just like tailors make your clothes fit your body, there should be tailors who make your confidence fit the size of your skills. Because <laughs> there's a lot of Dan Browns out there wearing it pretty baggy. <laughs> but Kellen, what did you think? Well, I'm torn because I thought that the book did have a couple of solid twists. Uh, it's a compelling narrative. Like Dave said, they've got these four Catholic cardinals who are the favors to become the next pope. By the way, one thing I learned from the book that I that is true is that they don't let anyone over 80 be pope. Oh, really? I just thought maybe that's a good election policy. Uh, <laughs> So you've got these four cardinals and they're being offed once an hour by symbolically something that has to do with earth, wind, water, fire. 
and Robert Langdon is, is on this chase through Vatican City. But it becomes less compelling to me after finding out that so much of this stuff just straight up isn't true. Like, I thought... <laughs> I thought he was like Michael Crichton, where you were legitimately also learning while you're reading. But it's more like if Michael Crichton was like, and as Einstein's theory of relativity states, sometimes a total solar eclipse can create a black hole. <laughs> and you're like, wow, really? That's crazy. And then he's like, I mean, no, but it makes for an intense story. <laughs> I know you're kidding, but he does have a totally bogus Einstein fact in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Even the thing you reached for as a stretch is true. <laughs> also, side note, I, th I thought his way of killing off the Cardinals with the four elements like could have used a little more creativity. Like the first one could have been water and maybe that Cardinal. The first Cardinal gets like shot with ice bullets because it's water, right? And then after that, the next three Cardinals just get run over by a tour bus for the band Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> All right, and without further ado, this is the roast of angels and demons in four lessons. All right, lesson one. Cool writing needs cool characters. So the first thing you should know about Robert Langdon is something Stephen Gradenus noticed, which is the outfit Langdon wears in the book is the same outfit Dan Brown wears on the back cover. <laughs> so it's, it's like Michael Scott writing Agent Michael Scarn. You kind of know <laughs> this is how he imagines himself. <laughs> So listen, knowing that, listen to this description. Although not overly handsome in a classical sense, Langdon had what his female colleagues referred to as an erudite appeal. Wisps of gray, probing blue eyes, arrestingly deep voice, the strong carefree smile of a collegiate athlete, the body of a swimmer, a toned six-foot physique, a bit of an enigma. First off, it's not an enigma if you tell us everything. <laughs> Second, I would pay 20 bucks to see how long that passage was originally before the editor got to it. <laughs> Langdon also had a credit score of 792. Uh, it's also crazy to me that he's like, you know how all women love probing eyes? <laughs> Here's my trick with the ladies. <laughs> You know how Professor <laughs> Professor Moody was uh, right. <laughs> quite the quite the lady killer. Quite the lady killer. Well, half of them. Uh. All right. Next is personality. Although a tough teacher, Langdon was the first to embrace what he hailed as the long lost art of good, clean fun. <laughs> you know how people these days never have fun, <laughs> like they did back in like the Great Depression. <laughs> there's, there's people who think liking pizza is a personality. And Langdon goes a step further where he's like, you know, I'm not like other people. I like fun. <laughs> One way you know this book is wish fulfillment is it ends with every straight man's dream, which is that if you tell a woman the perfect dad joke, she will be overcome by desire. <laughs> the end of the book, Vittoria says she's going to prove that neutrinos have mass. And Robert says, I didn't even know they were Catholic. And she becomes <laughs> ravenous with passion. <laughs> Victoria is everything you want in a love interest, as long as you don't want a personality. She is this brilliant scientist, but all her knowledge comes from sea creatures. That's not an exaggeration. She supposedly disproved one of Einstein's theories using tuna fish. <laughs> she knows how to spot poison because of the time someone poisoned a whale. 
It's the sci-fi a six-year-old would write after watching Flipper. <laughs> so then the murderer is killing these cardinals and he's branding them with ambigrams. And if you haven't seen an ambigram, it's this incredibly precise word. You get the typography just right so that if you turn it upside down, it's the same word. They look so cool. They have so much detail. So the killer brands these ultra-precise ambigrams onto the saggy, wrinkly bodies of 70-year-old Catholic cardinals. <laughs> So the cops are like, wow, I bet this ambigram was originally very cool. <laughs> <laughs> this ambigram really let itself go. <laughs> yeah. I also love it how Dan Brown writes about these, these giant metal brands. And he says of the Illuminati ones specifically, artists and scholars have tried to figure out for centuries how to create this impossible puzzle. <laughs> but I wish you would have added, like, and finally, because you see it in the book, <laughs> if you would have added, and finally, it was possible when I commissioned an artist <laughs> to do it. He calls it impossible, but remember how in the Da Vinci Code, he thought that backwards writing was an unbreakable code? Because <laughs> he's a symbologist. He's not a backwards symbologist. <laughs> Did he, like, not once look in a rearview mirror on a license plate? Like, what country am I in now? All right, lesson number two. Rationalize a deus ex machina with one hint on page three and then never again. So if you haven't heard of it, or as Robert Langdon would put it, you probably have never heard of this. A deus ex machina is when the hero of a story gets saved by some unearned means that just comes out of nowhere at the end. And I believe that deus ex machina is Latin for giant eagles <laughs> who fly to Mordor. So, <laughs> as solid as some of these story beats are in this crazy story, there's a moment at the end where Robert Langdon, he falls a thousand feet out of a helicopter and into a river, but he survives because on like page 17 of this giant book, while visiting CERN, the, you know, the largest particle accelerator in the world, he notices as he's walking down the hall, he notices people flying around in a room, like with little parachutes on. And the director of the facility is like, Oh, you know, it's indoor skydiving for people on their lunch break. <laughs> you know how people do that to relax. He says this, to relax and float around. And then he also adds, did you know that a three foot by three foot piece of any material will slow you down from falling by 20%? And then he goes on, little did Robert Langdon know that later that night, that advice would save his life. <laughs> It's like, well, now we know. <laughs> this is like a bad movie trailer. Like, now, now I know he's going to be fine. Also, if you're falling at 100 miles per hour, now you're only falling at 80 miles per hour? Because he, he jumps out of the helicopter, and you find out as he's falling that he has grabbed, like, a piece of canvas or something. But he's, he's saying that the advice saved his life. As if before, when he jumped out, he would have been like, I, I'm not going to grab anything because I don't know science. <laughs> As if he wouldn't grab any sort of parachute thing. But he's like, well, I learned this new fact today. <laughs> and then before he hits the water, it has him in real time, like as he's falling, has him remembering all of his diving training that we also learned just in chapter one. <laughs> 
<laughs> now we're good. What if, what if like Star Wars at the end of it, if Luke, if we'd never heard of the Force except for once, <laughs> when the words were like coming down the screen? <laughs> also, if you, also, if you use the Force, you don't need to use your computer in an X-Wing. <laughs> and then Luke's like, ah, I remember that from the words. <laughs> What's funny is Dan Brown goes so deep into the signs of him surviving that drop because the, the antimatter bomb is in the helicopter, so he's jumping out of the helicopter. But he forgot something big, so I'm going to give you all a quiz. If someone is falling through the air and above them a bomb explodes with the force of 20 million pounds of TNT, will that make them fall slower or faster? <laughs> <laughs> and if you said slower, I think you're Dan Brown. <laughs> <laughs> if Langdon isn't instantly vaporized, he will be driven into the ground like Wile E. Coyote. <laughs> also, just the fact that he uses the, the, the director of this facility uses the word relaxing for what these people are doing in this room. I imagine that I come home from work and to my wife, I'm like, boy, am I stressed. <laughs> I think I'm either going to get a massage or jump out of a plane. <laughs> You know, to relax. You know those relaxing dreams where you're falling through the sky? <laughs> <laughs> All right, lesson three. You don't need fact-checking, you just need confidence. <laughs> Kellen, we both want to be successful like Dan Brown. So I did that thing I do where I hacked his computer to steal his writing tips. And so here they are. <laughs> Tip one, doing research is hard. Saying you did research is easy. <laughs> One of the fact checks I read about this book was 11 pages long. And here's some of my favorite things he got wrong. He says, Holy Communion, as a ritual, was stolen from the Aztecs. Y'all, take a guess. Do you think the Last Supper was before or after 1492? <laughs> and a hint, it's 1492 years after someone was born. <laughs> At one point, Vittoria talks about how if you combine antimatter with matter, it creates powerful photons. And then she says antimatter is the fuel of the future because it releases no radiation. Right after she just told us that it releases only radiation. <laughs> I love to, at one point, when they're still in that, uh, the facility where she works, and they're showing them this groundbreaking technology of the antimatter, and she's using all this flowery, like, atomic physics jargon and then she says we keep them in these things called antimatter traps <laughs> and you're like I think, I think even the ghostbusters had a fancier right. name <laughs> for their traps imagine imagine the guy who invented the spectrometer and first he was like well i was thinking of calling it the rainbow measurer <laughs> Dan Brown also revives that old myth, that old science myth. As you probably know, Victoria, human beings normally use a very small percentage of their brain power. This one actually, though, is a little accurate because it describes Dan Brown. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I want to end with my favorite Dan Brown quote. He had always been annoyed by the plethora of conspiracy theories that circulated in modern pop culture. This is from the man who said Copernicus was murdered by the church when Copernicus wasn't murdered at all. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, lesson four. Act very surprised when someone else actually knows something that you do. <laughs> Here's a quick list of the times that once I caught this pattern, uh, the times that Robert Langdon's mind is blown when his partner for this book, Victoria, uh, says something. <laughs> when he first mentions the Illuminati, she says, the Illuminati, as in the Bavarian Illuminati? And he goes, you've heard of them? <laughs> It's another one. Langdon says, they used a method known in symbology as dissimulation. Vittoria. Ah, camouflage. Langdon was impressed. <laughs> and not a joke. She knows about dissimulation because of a trumpet fish. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I want to see them on a day-to-day -day basis after right. this mystery is solved. Is he constantly just like spitting out his drink? Every time she states a fact. <laughs> All right, random facts. So Dan Brown has a moment where he says, okay, let's see, how do I write an Italian character? Okay, got it. She sensed something coursing through her Italian blood that she had never felt before. The whispers of Sicilian ancestors defending family honor with brutal justice. That is true. I know when I'm mad, the most racist depiction of myself comes out too. <laughs> I say stuff like, fat chance, buster. <laughs> so Robert Langdon, at the beginning of this book, he suspects that it is not the actual Illuminati that was causing these crimes. <laughs> and then he starts to believe it for the entire book. And then at the very end, it turns out that he was disappointingly just right from the start. <laughs> it wasn't them. And it's just such a deflating moment. Imagine in the first Star Wars, like if Han Solo didn't believe in the Force at the beginning, he says right. something like, ah, oh, that mumbo jumbo. And then at the end, we find out it really is mumbo jumbo. <laughs> <laughs> so at one point, uh, Victoria says that a, a murder is going to happen at the Pantheon based on these clues. And this senior Vatican official is like, that's impossible. There's one entrance, four armed guards. How could anyone get away with that? And then she just starts listing them off, like, oh, they could drop a body through this hole in the ceiling. They could take someone in who's drugged, and eventually they would die. He keeps going, and eventually he's finally like, oh, okay, well, I guess I didn't brainstorm. <laughs> so you may know some people who are anti-tech, but have you ever met someone so anti-tech that when they find out they're an IVF baby, they murder their father? <laughs> If you read the book, that joke's not quite factually accurate, but who's gonna criticize me, Dan Brown? <laughs> there's, there's one part of the book where Dan Brown writes that this mysterious character comes up and says, excuse me, Robert Langdon, the man had an accent that Langdon couldn't place. But then he doesn't even describe like a general region. <laughs> So I just, in my head, it's like, excuse me, Robert Langdon. It's just like, I can't place yeah. it. Yeah. I have a theory of movie trailers. I feel like the worse a movie is, the more of its secrets it has to give up in the trailer to lure you in. <laughs>
that's so true because the latest Spider-Man movie was so incredible that they they kept a bunch of the secrets, yeah, the, of the other Spider-Man from other movies, other universes. And then when the latest Flash movie came out, just right in the trailer, they're like, "There's gonna be lots of Batmans, all the Batmans." Just please come see it. Michael Keaton's there. <laughs> we find out at the beginning of the book that Robert Langdon, he's a professor, his nickname on campus is the Dolphin because he could swim and, quote, because of his affable nature. <laughs> nah. It's only because he can swim. Can you imagine? If someone's like, so why is that guy's nickname the Dolphin? Oh, you know. He's nice. <laughs> we call my son the monkey because, you know, he's hungry. <laughs> also, going along with the wish fulfillment thing, do you remember how it says that he's such a good swimmer, he's a better water polo player than the entire college water polo team? Put together, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> As if that's possible. I would love to see how Dan Brown sees Dan Brown. <laughs> He's just, that's what he thinks about before he goes to bed every night. He's just fantasizing. And uh, if I was playing water polo, they would only need me. <laughs> They'd have to rename it uh, Water Solo. Uh, <laughs> It's crazy that Dan Brown, just from the first chapter, we find out he's amazing at swimming. Nothing happens. When he finally <laughs> hits the water, he goes unconscious and people drag him out. <laughs> Zero swimming. <laughs> they pull him out. And he's like, thank you. And they're like, oh, this guy's like a dolphin. <laughs> so polite. <laughs> It's, it's like how in the Da Vinci Code, they make a big deal at the beginning about how he's scared of elevators. So you think there's going to be a big elevator scene? Nope, that's just his character. <laughs> I'm allergic to bees. <laughs> Good thing there's no bees in this story. Then the most anticlimactic chapter ending, Victoria opened her phone. You can't do that, Kohler said. Just try and stop me, Victoria replied. Kohler didn't move. An instant later, Victoria understood why. This far underground, her cell phone had no dial tone. <laughs> what is the next chapter? Ding! She got to the top. All right, we are going to end with a little game. So we're going to ask for some audience participation. We are going to ask you to tell us just a normal, brief story from your life, and then we're going to turn it into a Dan Brown conspiracy. <laughs> Do we have any volunteers? Yeah, right there. Yes. Um, first date with my husband, we got in the car wreck. OK. Rolled over down into a ditch, both of us were fine. Uh, when I was climbing out, I stepped on the rear view mirror and it broke and I felt really bad about it. I had to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And what's your name? Callie. Was he driving? He was driving. That is crazy though, that he rolled the car and you apologized. 
As the priori of Cyan will tell you, Ali is an anagram for ale. And if you are ailed by the breaking of a mirror, as says the book of Judges, you will be cursed with seven years bad luck. <laughs> and prior to the priory of Zion, Ali and her husband were driving down the road when one of the four elements that exist, wind, blew them off the road, struggling as they were rolling. She reached for her phone. I only have one bar. <laughs> What do we do? As they exited the vehicle, he said, we could use that mirror. Crack. <laughs> when the car rolled, it formed a perfect circle and a spiral in the shape of the divine ratio. <laughs> they had been impacted not only by the first element of wind, but by the other three elements of posh, ginger, and baby. <laughs> 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 All right, let's grab another one. Yes. One time my kid put a grasshopper in a Tupperware container and I made him eat it. <laughs> well, I hope he apologized. What's your name? Jerem. Jerem. Last name? <laughs> <laughs> For the cameras. <laughs> so, what, so what was the context? How did this go down? Uh, he wanted to. He was hunting through the Tupperware container drawer, asked him what he was doing, and he said, "I'm looking for something to put my grasshopper in." And I told him, "Well, that's for food. And so, if you put the grasshopper in there, then you'll have to eat it." <laughs> and I wasn't intending on making him eat it, but he put up such a stink about it that pretty soon we were butting heads. And so this was, this was so you would save face, basically. You thought him yeah. eating the grasshopper was how you looked best in the situation. <laughs> uh. You gotta, you know, you, you gotta stand firm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it sounds like a typical Bluey episode. Right. <laughs> As the Old Testament will tell you, <laughs> the way to avoid a plague of locusts is to yourself become a plague to the locusts. <laughs> Even John the Baptist ate honey and locusts because his father made him. <laughs> his father was like, we only keep honey in this Tupperware. And when the Lord told the tribes that they would wander for 40 years, at first he didn't mean it. <laughs> well, I mean, we're laughing, but we feel horrible for your kid. <laughs> All right, next one. Um. I needed a friend to drive cross country with me. I moved from New Jersey to Utah and I got a friend to do it with me. I didn't know him well enough. Turns out that he was bipolar and he was a gun carrier. <gasps> we got into a fight and he demanded that I drop him off when we were in Lincoln, Nebraska. Wow. You made it to Nebraska? <laughs> I was in my early 20s. I was dumb. <laughs> What's your name? 
And Angela, how did you know him? We met on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> it was no coincidence that the city with the gun-loving man, the city the gun-loving man was dropped off in, was named after our beloved 16th president, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, who also died by a gun-toting bipolar madman. <laughs> Few people know that Abraham Lincoln, the reason he wore that top hat was because his head really was that big. <laughs> and so, I mean, kind of an easy target. Right. <laughs> In fact, John Wilkes Booth of the Masons actually just meant it as a warning shot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who else? I got surprised kissed on a date once and I threw up. Oh. <laughs> tell, tell us more. Who is this person? He was a kid that I dated for a little bit and I, I was trying to work up the courage to break up with well, that'll do it. dovetail that in there. <laughs> and what's your name? Kristen. Kristen. And what's his name? Jacob. <laughs> that was the perfect response. Jacob? I don't remember. One evening, Jacob took Kristen to the most romantic movie, Harry Potter 3, The Prisoner of Azkaban, full of dark spirits, and boy, at the end of that night, did he wish he could turn back time. <laughs> and just as Kristen, without seeing the irony, took a boy named Jacob to a werewolf movie. <laughs> as witches of old have said, men, sometimes for self-defense, can turn into wolves. So it is, too, that women in self-defense can turn into vomiting women. <laughs> <laughs> And all Kristen could think of for the rest of that night was, boy, did that taste like that insect that my father made me eat. <laughs> Thank you. That's our Thank show. Thank you.